Welcome, welcome to episode five of Urban Tumbleweed. I hope you're all having a wonderful day and have smiled at least once today. As suggested by the title, we are tackling the topic of the seemingly ultimate material good, plastic. We're getting a little history lesson today with the coverage of the origins of plastic and recycling, as well as the stats regarding how effective recycling plastic actually is and what we can do as individuals to be more sustainable consumers. And as usual, all sources will be linked in the episode description. And with that, let's get started. I truly cannot think of a time or place where I have not utilized some form of plastic to make my life easier or something more accessible. From the tent I use for camping, to my coffee maker, to the computer I use to do all the research and editing for this podcast, plastics allow me to do more, especially within a budget. And This is what the initial intent of plastics were when they were created back in 1869 by John Wesley Hyatt. Now for our history lesson. In the late 1800s, billiards had become increasingly popular, also known as pool, and the rampant production of this game strained the ivory industry because that's what they had previously been made out of. And in an effort to get creative and diversify supply chain strains, A New York firm offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who could create a viable substitute for ivory. So, Hyatt derived cellulose from cotton fiber and treated it with camphor, creating the first iteration of the plastic that we know and use today. And this was a monumental discovery for society, since we could now manufacture goods more efficiently, effectively, and affordably, and Ironically enough, the creation of plastic was beneficial for the environment, since we were no longer exhausting all of our natural resources to the point of complete depletion. And then, a few decades later, in 1907, Leo Bakeland created the first fully synthetic plastic. And this iteration of plastic was durable, it was heat-resistant, it was ideal for mass production, and could essentially be molded and shaped into practically anything. And this discovery encouraged major chemical corporations to start researching and developing new iterations of plastics that were suited for even more use cases. And the following world wars are where we started to see a boom in the plastic industry. During World War II alone, the plastic production in the United States surged by 300%. And this rate of growth continued well after the war, encouraged further by Americans just ready to start spending again after the recovery of the Great Depression. But, like most good things, uh, too much is not good anymore. (laughs) And the carefree mentality around the consumption of plastics did not last forever. Like we learned in the bonus episode about Earth Day, Americans became increasingly more conscious and concerned about the environment in the 60s, and plastics became a huge focus point. Fun and 
kind of sad fact. Plastic debris in the ocean was first observed in the 1960s. And as I'm sure most of you know, we now have the Pacific Garbage Patch, which is like the size of a continent. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so sad and fun fact. But the reputation of this wonder material continued to falter throughout the following decades. You know, even the word plastic became associated with the descriptors cheap and fake. And in an effort to combat the growing disdain for this product, the plastics industry came up with and started to market a version of recycling in the 80s. And we'll go into the efficacy of this effort later in the episode. And that more or less brings us to where we are today. The plastic industry saw a bounce back in their reputation and use of plastics once they offered recycling, and there continue to be more and more iterations and uses for plastics being introduced into our capitalist society. So let's take a step back and talk about why plastic is important. So what do plastics do for society today? I would be very incorrect in stating that all plastic is bad, but As a note, when researching all the benefits of plastics, there were several plastic company websites that really, really pushed how great plastic actually is for the environment, which made me laugh because while yes, in a bubble, plastic is good for the environment like we just talked about, it certainly is not when you take waste and pollution into consideration. But anyway, back to plastic being good. Plastic has allowed for major developments and innovations to occur in the medical field, engineering, technology, transportation, science, safety. I mean, single-use equipment is great for ensuring sterilization, and there are several surgical tools that are plastic that aid in life-saving practices. Plastics keep us safe on the road from bike helmets to airbags and seatbelts in cars. Plastic help reduce food waste by keeping items fresher for longer and it allows fresh food to be transported to communities that might not have previously had access to that food. Plastics can also be a safer alternative to wood or metal like on a playground and if you guys maybe remember sliding down a metal slide when you were younger and just absolutely burning your hamstrings. I personally do and yeah plastic is definitely better in that regard. And plastic isn't just a flimsy single-use water bottle. It comes in many, 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 many different forms. And that versatility is what makes plastic so valuable in such a fast-paced and innovative world. So yeah, plastic is good and it is necessary for us to continue to grow and thrive as a society. But the issue is the waste associated with plastic. So what are the major concerns around plastic? Aside from waste, production of plastics can release harmful toxins, the product stays around for basically forever, it kills unsuspecting wildlife, it encourages a hyper-convenience culture, it uses up non-renewable resources, and it destroys ecosystems. I mean, plastic makes its way into every part of us and our lives, including our stomachs, (laughs) because... The average American will consume about a credit card's worth of plastic each week via the consumption of microplastics. Yeah, just like hold up your credit card to your stomach and think about that for a sec. And the throwaway culture that plastics have introduced is clearly unsustainable and unhealthy. 
And recycling was supposed to mitigate that issue. But how accessible is recycling? What can you recycle? How effective is recycling? These are all really critical questions that need to be asked before accepting recycling as the holy grail solution to our plastics problem. So let's start answering them. One, how accessible is recycling? When considering accessibility, it's inclusive of people's ability to access a recycling program near their home and out in the community, how products are made to increase the success of recycling, and how recycling can be easily accessible to people who may have trouble traditionally identifying recyclable material and receptacles, like individuals who are visually impaired. In some cases, neighborhoods or apartment complexes will already have a recycling program set up, so all that you need to do is just bring out your bin of recyclables each week to be collected. But in some cases, these programs might not be set up already, or a recycling center doesn't service that area. And on top of that, most recycling programs that come by to collect your items are only able to recycle very certain types of plastics. So the rest of those plastics are brought to a landfill. And we'll discuss types of plastics in a bit, don't worry. (laughs) And unfortunately, most producers don't make it any easier to recycle their products either, which can then be a barrier for people who want to recycle. Take, for example, my favorite cold brew coffee brand, Stoke, S-T-O-K. Their packaging is recycled, is recyclable, but only if the label on the outside is removed first. Truthfully, I was tossing the whole bottle into the recycling bin for a while before I actually took a good look at the recycling instructions, and I was so disappointed in myself and Stoke. Because why create a product that is more difficult to recycle just for the sake of marketing? And for individuals who may be visually impaired, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have not come across a recycling label on a product that would be easily identifiable for someone with a visual impairment, which then cuts out a whole part of the population from adequately recycling. So is recycling accessible? Sometimes, but not really. Two, what can you recycle? This one is especially tough because there are so many different types of plastics and not all were created equal for recycling. Like I mentioned before, I will deep dive into what the different types of plastics are, for consumers at least, but what you do need to know now about what you can recycle is there's like two out of the seven different plastic types that you can recycle. And even then, it's not practical to recycle plastic bags, aka urban tumbleweeds, or anything smaller than the size of a credit card. And even then, the plastics need to be cleaned and dry in order to go through the recycling process. So... It's unnecessarily complex. And three, how effective is recycling? Only about 9% of plastic is actually recycled, which is a staggeringly low number. It's especially staggering when you consider the fact that the average American goes through more than 250 pounds of plastic a year. Recycling can be expensive, and producing new plastic is cheap, so corporations don't really have an incentive or vested interest to invest in creating a comprehensive recycling system. And even now, with what we can recycle, bins are constantly getting contaminated with product debris, which means that that bin is now going to a landfill and recycling machines are blocked an average of 10 to 15 times a day due to things getting stuck in its gears, like plastic bags. 
At this point in time, we don't have a comprehensive enough recycling system to make recycling truly effective. But disclaimer, with that being said, it's still so important for us to continue to recycle because even that 9% makes a difference. And as a bonus to like what can you recycle and how effective recycling is, wish cycling is going to come up. But what is wish cycling? Wish cycling is the act of recycling something that you think would be recyclable, aka something that you wish actually was recyclable. This mentality can unfortunately be harmful since it can lead to bin contamination and then makes the jobs of recycle plant workers so much more difficult. It is ineffective, if not counterproductive. And a lot of where wish cycling stems from is people assuming that something is recyclable because maybe it's marketed as being a more environmentally like friendly product or like maybe vegetables come in uh, this container and turns out that that type of plastic isn't recyclable. But you would think it would be. And unfortunately, that is due to very, very subtle greenwashing. Throwback to a previous episode. <laughs> and now... As promised, what are the different types of plastics? For consumers, there are several different types. And as a note, all of these plastic types are identified with the corresponding number inside of the chasing arrow symbol. So number one, PET or PETE. This plastic is pretty often used to make bottles for drinks like soda and water, and it's also used for oil containers and other food containers like peanut butter, and this plastic can be recycled. Number two is HDPE, and this is often used for things like jugs, shampoo, detergent bottles, cleaning supply containers, and this can also be recycled. Numbers one and two are the most commonly recyclable uh, types of plastics that you can recycle curbside, uh, which is, you know, your standard uh, recycling program that accepts those plastics. Where it gets a little bit confusing is three through seven. So number three is PVC. And this is most often used for household products like tubing and furniture. And you can usually see this used in kids' toys as well. And this cannot be recycled at all. Number four is LDPE, and a lot of plastic wrapping is made with this, which includes, you know, produce and bread wrap and even grocery bags, and this can only sometimes be recycled. Number five is PP. This is used to make food containers like yogurt cups, straws, bottle caps, and this can sometimes be recycled. Number six is PS. And this is primarily found in, like, to-go convenience items made out of styrofoam and such, and this can sometimes be recycled. And then number seven is just other. (laughs) And it's basically anything else that doesn't fit into the other categories. Um, It's just considered an other plastic, which makes recycling extremely difficult. But that being said, it can sometimes be recycled. So numbers four through seven, uh, typically you're going to need a specialty recycling program. Um, A lot of grocery stores will have a plastic bag take-back program where they will have the 
bags that you use to bring out your groceries, you can return them to the store and they will uh, ship them off to a recycling center that is actually able to process that type of plastic. Um, some other companies might also host uh, certain recycling drives that will take your recycles that are only sometimes recyclable and ship them off to the appropriate recycling center. But so now you know all the plastics and just because you see the chasing arrow symbol does not mean that you can just toss it into your recycling bin. Really, you should only be putting types one and two in the bin and everything else needs to be recycled via a specialty plant. And number three can't be recycled at all. So why even put the recycling symbol, you may ask? Let me direct you to episode three, where we talked about greenwashing. Yet another callback. <laughs> and at this point, you may be feeling frustrated. Same here. But there are things that we can work on to continue improving our conditions for a more sustainable future. So what can we do? First, reduce. Try to be cognizant of what you're purchasing week over week. What packaging do your products come in? Is there a non-plastic option? Is there a product that you can cut out altogether? By paying closer attention to what products you do consume, you can make impactful decisions regarding your purchasing habits and how they impact your sustainability goals. Second is reuse. If you have the opportunity to put a single-use plastic to use again, do it. Do it. (laughs) Turn a single-use plastic into multi-use. Get creative. Maybe you can use an old container to store art supplies in. Or maybe you start going to a co-op where you can refill your own jars and containers. There are so many options on how to reuse. And by reusing, you are also inherently reducing. And then third, recycle. Know the ins and outs of what can and cannot be recycled. Clean and dry your recyclable materials before putting them in the bin. See what specialty recycling options are accessible to you and what your local recycling centers can take. And of course, spread the knowledge to your friends, your family, community members, so they can get involved too. Remember, the speck of dust versus a dust storm impact. And most importantly, get loud. Advocate and pressure corporations to rethink their packaging and to invest in recycling programs. Put your money where your sustainability values are, where and when you can, of course, that is accessible to you, and make your purchasing preferences well-known. If you're, And if you're a product producer, see how you can maybe contribute to the solution with more sustainable packaging. And you can also let your local politicians know that you want more robust and comprehensive recycling plants. Write, call, email, whatever you feel comfortable with. And that concludes this week's episode. Moral of the message, we need to be smart consumers in today's society to continue living an accessible existence while ensuring our future existence. There's a reason the words reduce, reuse, recycle are ordered that way in that phrase. Our primary and most effective objective is to reduce the waste we create, reuse what we can, where we can, when we can, and then recycle what we have to. And if you have any tips on how to be better about recycling or would like to share how you reduce, reuse, and recycle, let me know via urbantumbleweedpod at gmail.com or at urbantumbleweedpodcast on Instagram, and I'll feature it in the next episode. But until then, stay rad.
See y'all soon.